0: The sermon series we're in for the Advent season, a very brief series, but an important one. Uh, The title of it is Finding Christmas Gifts in Unusual Places. We're always surprised where we find the most meaningful gifts. And uh, this morning we're thinking about uh, the miracles that are right under our noses uh, that we sometimes forget, take for granted. And so in just a moment, I'm going to be reading from Matthew's Gospel, the 11th chapter beginning in verse 2, and then reading through verse 11. And I hope that you'll have your Bible open uh, and maybe follow along, and uh, then it'll be uh, on the screen as we read it. But uh, during the course of the message, it might help you to have that in front of you. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, beginning in verse 2. If you're able, would you stand, please, as I read aloud God's Word? When John heard in prison that the Messiah was... What the Messiah was doing. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written... See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Among all of the Bible characters that we know anything about, John the Baptist is one of the greatest And one of the reasons that John the Baptist is one of the greatest is that he was a pivot character, a sort of hinge character in our Bible history, because all that came before John the Baptist, uh, Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, Elijah, Jeremiah, all of those, all that came before him uh, were significant building up to John's message And then 400 years of silence, no prophetic word, for 400 years. And then bursting on the scene out of nowhere, out in the desert, John the Baptizer, pointing the way, six months older than his cousin Jesus, and announcing the appearance of the Messiah. So you have John the Baptist, the hinge person in our Bible, in our faith history. All that went before him. And then Jesus comes after him, and John is that hinge who is part Old Testament prophet and part way-shower to the Messiah who would come. A great, great legacy. And that's why Jesus said about him, of all of those born of women, uh, there are none greater than John the Baptist. But as great as John was, as spiritually in tune as he was, John the Baptist was human, and he had doubts. Uh, he struggled with the miraculous. He struggled with the kind of miracles that Jesus was performing, and he had, after all of his preaching, all of his passion, he had some doubts about Jesus, so he's in prison, and he sends messengers to Jesus, and I want you to hear his question, verse 3, and I want you to think about the perfect balance Of that question. Are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? That's the Advent question we ask too. Is he the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? And John was honestly expressing his struggle. Now, one of the reasons that John struggled, I think, is because John had preached hellfire and brimstone. He'd preach judgment. He said, get your life right or you're just going to fry. You know, he he was blunt. He was truthful. But he expected the judgment of God. He expected the Messiah to come in and just start roasting people who didn't follow him. And yet the miracles John saw from Jesus were miracles of mercy, miracles of justice, Miracles of compassion. Jesus sent word back, he said, You just tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf suddenly hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor, the disenfranchised, have good news brought to them. You go give John that message. So here was John's problem with miracles. And here's our problem with miracles. Same problem. He was looking in the wrong places and he was looking for the wrong kind of miracles. That's our problem. We look in the wrong places and we're looking for the wrong kind of miracles. A long time ago, uh, Albert Einstein was uh, reported to have said, there are two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle, and the other is as if everything is a miracle. And he was right, wasn't he? Nothing's a miracle, or everything is a miracle. And for John, it was a struggle uh, with the optics, the way things looked. John wanted things in a box. John believed in black or white. Good or bad, and he wanted things neat and tidy. And for those of us who want things under control and all boxed up, sometimes miracles don't come in neat and tidy packages. And we struggle. You know, we want to put God in a mathematical formula, uh, uh, some kind of uh, 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 test tube, and God doesn't work that way. It's not. The way God operates. Somebody said, I I read an essay in a magazine several months ago and talked about how it's fashionable in our country, in our world today, to show your intelligence by being skeptical. Have you noticed that? If a person's skeptical, that means you're more intellectual. You can impress people with your doubts. Now, it's good to to probe and ask. Nothing wrong with doubts. But this person went on to say, We seem sophisticated when we say we don't believe. And to some people, that's important. Well, you you can't box God in and tell God God has to jump in order to be God today. And the miracles may not be where we look. They may not be like we think. Uh, Somebody asked me, do you believe in miracles? I think my response honestly is, Every day is a miracle. The oxygen that I exchange uh, in my my pulmonary system, the the, the blood coursing through veins, the heart that pumps, the, the miracles of every day. We swim in miracles. Every day we experience miracles. And our posture has to be one where we open our hearts to a God who operates with God's kind of miracles, not ours. So, you might read this text and wonder, well, how do, we, uh, how do we get more sensitive to miracles? Notice what Jesus said to the disciples who were supposed to take a message back. He said, tell him what you hear and see we have to exercise our faith and be attuned to what we're hearing and seeing, what's right in front of us. And we have to use that trust muscle to grow in our awareness of miracles. You ever stop and ask yourself why we sing a lot of the same songs, why we get together every week, and read the same Bible stories. If you go to church very long over a lifetime, you hear the same Bible stories, hear the same kinds of sermons, sing the same kind of songs, pray the same kind of prayers. Every advent, we tell the same stories, we sing the same songs. You ever wonder, you ever just ask yourself, why do we do that? Well, part of the answer is, in rehearsing our faith, we sharpen our miracle detectors. We all have miracle detectors in us. And when we don't use those miracle detectors, they grow dull and unresponsive and flabby. But when we exercise our miracle detectors by telling ourselves the stories of our faith, we actually sharpen and strengthen our miracle detectors. Now think about it. The God of the universe come in the flesh. Incarnation. Miracle. All other miracles, including the resurrection, flow from that miracle. The God of the cosmos comes as a baby. And if that's true, that means the impossible becomes possible. We are people who live by the invisibles. We are people who are open to the supernatural. Advent waiting is wide awake waiting. It's waiting for where we will see God moving next. That if God can come in the flesh and rescue humanity, God can do anything. And we're alert not only to the great big miracles, but to the micro miracles. We're alert to the mysteries and, and the, the beautiful visits from God that sometimes go overlooked because we're just simply too busy. If God's come in the flesh, then we are people of the supernatural. We live by the invisibles. We are people of miracles. We just have to get tuned in and get the blinders off. Let me ask you something, do you get stressed over the holidays and you get busy and you find yourself getting grouchy and the lines are long and the traffic snarled, you're tired, you haven't had enough sugar, (laughs) so you get a sugar fix and that helps everything for about ten minutes? What's the natural thing to do when we are really, really busy, our schedules really cramped? The natural thing to do is to speed up and go faster. What if you and I did what was counterintuitive when we are stressed and super busy? What if instead of when we're busy speeding up, slowing down? Taking a breath. taking a breath, stepping back and taking it in and asking, where is God working? Where is the miraculous in these moments that I might be missing? Henry Nouwen had uh, some beautiful thoughts reflecting on Advent and he talked about Advent attitudes that really serve us well and I want to show you on the screen just some simple words that he chose uh, to, to describe the appropriate Advent attitudes. An attitude of openness. We're free. We don't have preconceived notions of what has to be. We're flexible. We're receptive. And and went on and said about this attitude that in order for God to work, God only comes and dwells when and if we step back and give God room. And if we're always busy, and if we always have to be in control of things, and if we always have to be defining the miracle, then we're not giving God room. But when and if we step back and give God room, God will come and dwell and do miracle things when we're open, free, flexible, and receptive. And here's another discovery that I've made about miracles. Miracles, great big miracles sometimes begin with a small trickle before they're ever a torrent and a large river. Miracles often turn on something small, a small turning. For example, the miracle of a restored relationship between two people might begin with something as simple as me thinking, maybe we should talk about this problem. Or maybe I'm not right, maybe I'm not seeing everything there is to see. The tiny beginning to a great big miracle of restored relationship. Or the miracle of conversion. Maybe it begins with the tiny trickle, with the tiny turning that says, you know, maybe those other people aren't silly. Maybe there's something to this idea of God and forgiveness and grace. Miracles often begin... With the tiniest of things, like a tiny baby born in a barn. I think maybe uh, I quote this Christmas carol to you nearly every Christmas, uh, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and my favorite stanza, and and I think I point out to you every Advent, that this this Christmas carol was written by a preacher, uh, Phillips Brooks, who pastored in Boston, Uh, The third stanza is my favorite. I want to show you on the screen one that you know well, but we sometimes don't sing the third stanza. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of His heaven. No ear may hear His coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive Him, still the dear Christ enters in. You may not hear Him, you may not see Him, but when our soul is meek, we are willing to step back, we're willing to trust, we can experience the miracle of His small but significant presence.